You feeling good? You should be feeling good. I'm proud to announce that on Wednesday night we had an impromptu contribution for the hurricane relief in Texas from uh, Hurricane Harvey, and we collected uh, a little bit over $4,800 on Wednesday night, so that was great. Also, I know we're all aware of uh, Hurricane Irma right now uh, coming up through Florida, and uh, we need to be in prayer and thoughtfulness uh, for many people. I know a lot of us uh, have family uh, or uh, friends in Florida that are going to be going through that uh, situation. I've never gone through a hurricane myself. I know some of you have. Uh, and it's uh, certainly not a fun experience, and uh, I believe that uh, if they're all right on the, their predictions, Irma is going to be worse than most anyway. So we really need to be uh, prayerful about our brothers and sisters and friends, family, fellow citizens in the state of Florida. Be turning your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to talk about wholeheartedness today. And how hard that is to achieve, yet I'm uh, going to give you a little bit of a checklist to see how you're doing on your wholeheartedness. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 8, Paul says, first, this is after he introduces his letter to the church there in Rome. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. That's quite a compliment to send to a church, isn't it? God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness of how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, that the way may be open for me to come to you. Paul says this about himself seemingly with absolute confidence that I am serving God wholeheartedly with my whole heart. Now we know, let's go back and look at Matthew 22 real quick, the the great uh, commitment that we have in this area. Look back to Matthew 22. Jesus answers the question that's asked him, what's the greatest commandment? Remember that? Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So this idea of wholeheartedness is not something that's uh, for the super committed or for someone that is just really in to being a Christian. Wholeheartedness is something that every single child of God should have as their intention. I want to love God with all my heart. I want to be wholehearted in my relationship with God. This is not a half, halfway thing. You know, in life, all of us have things that we do sort of, eh, we do it enough to do to get through it. You know what I'm saying? Can you guys think of anything like that that goes on in your life? You just do it enough to get through it. You know, you don't want to get in trouble, right? You don't want someone to say, hey, you're not, you know, so you do enough to smooth it over. Like my kids when, uh, you know, they still were at home. We had a rule you had to make your bed. Their interpretation of making a bed was quite creative at moments. 
It was, it was just like, and that's a made bed. But that really wasn't a made bed. That was just enough to say, well, I tried. Right? Now, we all have things in life that we understand, and, and we try, and we under, uh, understand by, by nature, this is something you give your whole heart to. And Jesus says we've got to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. Look at Revelation chapter 3. We need to really get the picture here. Revelation 3. This is what the Lord thinks of half-heartedness. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 15. It's written to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Okay? I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, not hold, uh, uh, hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. We need to understand very clearly, not be misunderstanding here. The idea of being half-hearted, not committed, not wholehearted, in our spiritual responsibilities, is enough to make the Lord sick. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? That's pretty, uh, pretty clear imagery that God does not appreciate sort of throwing your bed together <laughs> making the bed. He says, hey, if, if you're going to follow me, then I want you to get busy doing it. And I want you to be wholehearted in it. Now, what we're going to do here for the rest of our time, we're going to go to the book of Philippians. So be moving on over to the Philippians. Philippians is, a, is a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. It is known as the most personal of all the letters to a church. Of course, you have First and Second Timothy and Titus, Philemon, that are personal letters that we have in the, the, in the New Testament. But Philippians is, is to a church, but it's very personal. Paul shares a lot of things about himself and how he feels and, and how he's looking at life, what, uh, what motivates him. Uh, in in the the book of Philippians. And we're going to read three different texts here in this idea of wholeheartedness. And in it, it's going to give us a little bit of a look into him. Now, he said, I serve the Lord wholeheartedly, right? We already read that. So in his mind, I am going for it full bore. And in these passages of Philippians, we'll see the inner, inner look into him of what's going on in his life and what he's thinking and how that might apply to us. Now, are you in Philippians? I'm not, so I'll get there. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Now, Paul is in prison at this time. He's in a Roman prison. He says, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result... It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that everyone and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in, uh, have been uh, uh, in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God courageously and fearlessly. Now, come on down in, in uh, the, the next chapter there, uh, our next uh, paragraph, sort of beginning uh, at the middle of verse 18. He says, "Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given me." By the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me 
will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way that I will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, as now as always, that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Here's the first test of whether you are trying to live a wholehearted life. I find that even when I'm hurting, I still remained concerned for others. Paul's in a Roman prison. He's literally physically chained to the wall. And who is he thinking about? He's he's thinking about them. And he says, I think I'm going to get out of this and everything's going to turn out great. And I can't wait to get back with you so that your joy and your faith will be renewed. This is a real litmus test of wholeheartedness. The natural reaction when you go through a difficult time in your life, and we all go through difficult times in our life, is nobody in here going to get out of it, out of life, without going through difficult times. But the the temptation, or how we normally would go, is that if you go through a hard time, life then becomes all about you, and all about your struggle, and all about your difficulty, and all about what you're going through. But if you've committed your life to Christ, you understand, even if I'm going through a hard time, there are other people out there that have other needs. There are other people out there that I should care about, that I should think about. And this is a real test for us in our life. It's one that many of us, if we think about it in our life, actually we've passed this test. Because we're going through a hard time. We know our life at at this moment is not as easy as it can be, but every once in a while we've realized, I'm still thinking about them. I'm still concerned about her. I'm still thinking about that person over there. And it's a great test to show you where your heart is. You're like, well, maybe I'm not as far off as, as I thought I was. And you know, for a lot of us, this is, and we're going to get into this in just a minute, and the second scripture we're going to look at in Philippians, is that for many of us, when we go through a difficult time in our spiritual life, we immediately go to, I'm going through a difficult time, therefore I'm bad. I'm not reading my Bible enough, therefore I'm bad. I'm not sharing my faith enough, therefore I'm bad. I'm not concerned enough about the poor, therefore I'm bad. Your heart, if you've given your heart to the Lord, even when you're going through a hard time, it bleeds through. You still know you need to care. You still want to care. And you find yourself caring, just like Paul, 
sitting in a prison, chained to the wall, and probably chained to a soldier as well. How would you like to be chained to a Roman soldier? How much fun is that? And what does he write about? How much he can't wait to get with them and fire them up on their faith. What a great test of wholeheartedness. Well, let's go on. Look over to Philippians chapter 3. You guys with me here? I know we're moving quickly, but what, you know we're, we're, we're still in here. Philippians 3. Let's pick up the reading in verse 7. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God, it is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with, with Him in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now look what he says here. Here's the insight into what he's thinking. Not that I already have obtained all of this. He says, I know I'm not where I could be. I know I'm not where I wish I was. This is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. Mr. Wholehearted himself. He says, I know I'm not where I could be. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Point number two. How do you know if you've got a heart that's trying to be wholehearted to God? I know I'm not where I can be, but I'm still trying. This has got to be one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible. This is probably the epitome of, 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 of who you would imagine as being the, the, the committed of all committed. I know I'm not there. If we took a show of hands here, how many of you think you can relate with this? It would just almost be 100% across the board. <laughs> I, I know I'm not there. As a matter of fact, we could fill in the blank with all the reasons we're not. We say, oh, I, I still, I'm still struggling with sin in my life. I still see things in my life that I should be doing a lot better at. I struggle sometimes to have the right attitude. That sound like anybody you know? Sound like me. I know I'm not where I need to be. But where are you on Sunday at 11.25? Here. 
people sometimes say, well, I, I don't feel like I'm doing well spiritually. I shouldn't go to church. No, no, no. That's the best place for you to be. Because <laughs> you need to hear those teenagers this morning. And you need to watch those videos. And you need to hear that incredible song with the violin, how great thou art. I'm over there crying, man. I tell you, you only get you cry more, you know. You you get you get all touched, and all of a sudden you're crying, and you think, what's wrong with me, man? You know, crying all the time about something. Best place for a weak Christians at church. That's the best place because your chances of getting better are really good here. Probably not going to help you much being at home by yourself thinking about how you're not doing good spiritually. You understand what I'm saying? Now, just think about that. I know I'm not where I need to be. But I'm still trying. The Christian life is not about being where you need to be. There's been very few times in my Christian life that I would have said, Hey, I am here. I am arrived. I am awesome. <laughs> and if I did think that, it would probably be a microsecond later that I'd be in a mess on some side, you know, some level. The Christian life is totally the Christian life is totally a struggle to understand. I'm not where I need to be, but I am going to refuse to quit and give in. Let's look at the last one. Look over to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four and verse ten. Now remember, he's in jail. I rejoice greatly. You're rejoicing a lot in jail, isn't he? I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Instead, or indeed, you have uh, been concerned but have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what, I, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret you notice how personal this is? I have learned this. I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And then skip on down to verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The third test here about what Paul says about his life as he thinks about his life as it pertains to whether we're wholehearted is he says, I have learned that God will give me what I need. He said, I've learned that. I've gone through enough experiences in life that I have learned that God will give me what I need. Now, I really wonder if he wanted to be in prison. You think he wanted to be in prison? He woke up one day and said, Hey, I need a break. I'm going to get arrested and go to prison and sit there until they want to release me. I doubt it. There's a difference sometimes between what we want and what we need. Sometimes what we need is unbelievably hard. 
The Philippians needed the letter that Paul was going to write from prison. There was no way the Philippians were going to get the letter that Paul wrote for prison unless Paul was in prison writing it. Oftentimes we go through difficult times in life and the first thing we say is, how could God let me go through this? God's not taking care of me. God, it's your fault. And we have no clue what God is doing, what God is preparing, and who God is serving through you going through what you're going through that at this time is not what you want, but perhaps not only what you need, but what other people need because of what you have to go through. If you think, and I want to say this, and I hope you're listening, please do. If you don't listen to anything else, listen here. If you think life is supposed to treat you fair, by your definition of fairness, you are going to be a phenomenally disappointed person in life. Life is not fair. And it certainly isn't fair necessarily by your definition of fairness. You understand what I'm saying? I always get a kick when I'm watching a, a football game and, and they have a play where the referee makes a call. And it's, it's, it's a call where, you know, really it could go either way. You could sort of see it this way or you could see it that way. Whatever way that the referee makes the decision, somebody says, Oh, that's a terrible call! What idiot made that call? How could you make that call? That's not fair. The other team is saying, yeah, come on. Touchdown. That's on Wisconsin, by the way. Did any of you, did you know that? Raphael knew that. Reese didn't know that. It wasn't Rocky Top, so okay, don't go there. Life isn't fair, guys. If, 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 you, if, if you go into your life thinking everything in your life is going to turn out fair, you're going to get hurt, you're going to get whacked, you're going to get bashed all the time. Okay, now, i got one more passage to look at because I want us to get this in our mind. This idea of wholeheartedness, trying to be wholehearted, reading as I'm not where I need to be, those three looks, those three uh, observations, I find that even when I'm hurting, I still care for others. I know that I'm not where I need to be, but I'm still trying. I've learned that God will give me what I need. What happens then to the wholehearted when they face the inevitability of death and facing judgment? Look in your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Okay, what happens then? To the wholehearted. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, if you do this, what we just talked about, I find that even when I'm hurting, I still, I'm still concerned for others. I know I'm not where I need to be, but I'm still trying I've learned that God will give me what I need. If you're still doing those things, 
But if you put these things, if you do these things, you will never fall. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of us, we, we have that thought from time to time. What will it be like? What is it like when we die and when we arrive on the other shore? What will it be like? Peter here describes it as a rich welcome. Now, when our kids were little kids, we would have to challenge them from time to time that when people came to the house, you need to stop what you're doing and come over and you need to greet the people who have just arrived at our house. Right? Because what we found was, if we didn't basically make them do that, they would be selfish and, and they'd be up there doing whatever they're doing and someone would come into the house and they'd be like, uh. I'm sure our kids were awful and your kids were never that way. Uh. Uh. Hey, the Neelands are here. Uh. <laughs> hey, Raphael and Griselda are here. Uh. That's not a rich welcome. That's a rich welcome. You go through life, you struggle to be a disciple. You live until the Lord takes your life, and then you, you, you arrive in heaven. Here I am! I'm busy. I'm playing video games. <laughs> Marty, hi, I'm Marty Fuqua. I just arrived. <laughs> We're going to receive a rich welcome. I want you to think in your mind right now, and there's somebody in your life that's like this, that when you see them, they are visibly excited, thrilled to see you. Maybe it was your, your favorite uncle or aunt or, you know, one of your buddies or whatever. That, that when you see them, when you arrive at their home or whatever, they are just excited to see you. Hey! I have to say, my good buddy Reese is that way. After all the years we've known each other and worked together, I see Reese. Reese is he's bigger than me anyway. And he's just got his arms out and he's all fired up. Fist bump. Hey, great to see you. That, you know, sort of rich welcome. Enthusiastic welcome. You arrive. The scene. And the Lord is there. You say, well, how do you know it's the Lord? I got a feeling we're going to know it's the Lord. <laughs> I don't know. Bible doesn't make that clear. But I got a feeling we're not going to say, oh, see, is that a... Uh, no, I think we're going to say, oh, that's the Lord. And he looks at you and is just, hey, come on, dude. Welcome. 
We've got a, about 10,000 years here to do some good, <laughs> good things together. Welcome. Great to have you here. I like that imagery. I like that imagery for people in the congregation here that have died and gone on. That when they got there, they got a rich welcome. Hey, Chuck, great to have you here. Come on. Let's go run. That's what the wholehearted get. Now, the wholehearted have a lot to do in life. They've got to find it in their heart to care even when they're hurting. They've got to realize that even though I'm not, not, not there right now, I am not going to quit. And I've learned that God will give me everything I need. Brothers and sisters, let's be wholehearted. Let's love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. It's a great honor and great privilege for the staff of the church to serve you. We are your servants. We're proud of you. Have a great day. Have a great week. We're going to have some macho nachos or whatever they are out there. Get over there and spend your money on those kids. You're dismissed.